0: Hi, this is John and Valerie Domingo, and And you're you're listening listening to Word of of Hope Christian Church Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hey there, folks. Hi, how are you? I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. And I'm excited to be with you today. It is Sunday, May 29th. Friends, we have finally made it. We have made it to the final lap. It's been an encouraging and inspiring sermon series through the book of James. And we've learned a lot from James. He's the half-brother of Jesus and pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And there's been a lot to learn. Remember, each week we tackled two big ideas. The first week was testing and perseverance. Week two was listening and doing. Week three was faith and works. Last week, week four, was speaking and boasting. And this week, we're finishing strong with waiting and praying. I'll tell you more in a moment, but right now, let's do just that. Let's pray. Lord, we repent of any time we thought that prayer was too trivial or simple for us. Increase our faith and expand our understanding of the power of prayer and the righteous action of waiting. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. James writes from an impassioned perspective as the leader of a church who's facing persecution. He's a good pastor who cares for his church, and his letter is packed full of practical advice, godly wisdom, care, and compassion. Today, we look to him to learn more about waiting and praying. And as we do, I want you to remember the context he's writing from. Can you imagine how difficult it would be to face persecution and be told you should wait on God or pray God would provide a miracle? For many of us, we're quick to try to figure out how to remedy any situation we're stuck in. And that's not inherently wrong. In fact, we live in a culture where we can order pretty much anything we need and have it delivered to our homes within two days, sometimes less. We don't really have to wait for anything, let alone pray in earnest, that God would show up and do the miraculous. But that's the life that James was living. That's the life the early church was living. And whether or not you've ever faced life or death persecution, I can guarantee you that the longer you follow Jesus, the more opportunities you'll have to learn the value of waiting and praying. It's where Jesus does some of his best, most providential and inspiring work. For those who believe, Patience and prayer are two of the most powerful forces on earth, so let's begin by talking about the first idea for today, and that is waiting. Our text today is James chapter 5, and we're going to start with verse 7, and we're going to go to verse 12 in this first section. Let's read together. Open up your Bible or Bible app. Follow along as I read. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, and the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath, by heaven or earth, or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no, so that you will not sin and be condemned. Be patient. What an incredible way to start the passage. What a powerful encouragement for believers, both ancient and modern. Patience is one of the eight fruits of the Spirit, as outlined by the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5.22. And patience is one of the core characteristics of those who follow Jesus. Look once again at verse 7. This time we'll look at verse 7a, the very first part. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, here it is. Be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. There are several things that jump out of that first statement. First and foremost is patience. James is saying that Believers are to be patient even in the midst of injustice. The believers needed to endure, trust in God through their trials, and refuse to try to get even for wrongs committed against them. But patience doesn't mean inaction. There was work to be done, serving God, caring for one another, and proclaiming the good news. The next thing that jumps out from this passage is the object for which the community is patient for. You see that there is an end point, a time when patience will no longer be needed. The return of the Lord was front and center to the early church. It cannot and should not be understated how much this belief that Jesus would return in their lifetimes, how much it impacted the preaching, thinking, and action of those early believers. For as much as James talked about action and works, he also believed that being patient and waiting were powerful options in the hands of the church. Now let's look at the second part of verse 7 again, 7b, Along with verse 10, verse 7b reads, consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. And then verse 10, for examples of patience in suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So James has us looking at farmers and then looking to the prophets. These are practical examples of patience that he points to. For the farmers, patience must be exercised and developed between the rains. It means that God's way is seldom the quick way, but it's always the complete way. And regarding the prophets, James is reminding his readers that even those who spoke in the name of the Lord had to have patience in suffering. Part of his point is that God doesn't preserve those he has called from suffering. Instead, he preserves them in suffering. And then in verse 11, take a look at that. James makes the ultimate point and encourages the church to remember the story of Job. Job's best work was as a teacher, one who had suffered and could help us cope with suffering. His life is an example that we need to follow. Job may have complained, no doubt, but he did not stop trusting or obeying God. And the Lord did deliver and restore him. The believers, after all the suffering they've endured so far, were encouraged not to give up that God would deliver and reward them. We can see clearly from Job's life that perseverance is not the result of understanding. Job never received an explanation from God for his suffering. This is partly because pain is often a part of life that must be endured beyond explanations. There are many things we can understand, but not everything. God's purpose is not that we just develop a mind full of explanations and answers. His purpose is, is to bring us to a place where we trust him. God doesn't enjoy watching his people suffer. He allows them to face such pain because a greater good will be produced. In the meantime, James encourages his readers to trust in God, wait patiently, persevere, and remember God's tenderness and mercy. I think we can all agree that we greatly esteem the stories and testimonies of those who've suffered greatly and persevered in patience. My most favorite story of patience in the Bible is that of Joseph. Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, way back there in Genesis 37, verses 27 and 28. Though he didn't understand all that was happening, he trusted God to work out his plan in his time. Joseph worked patiently and faithfully in every situation he was in. He waited for God to fulfill his promise that Joseph would be a leader of his people. He had to be patient as he believed God but probably wondered why he was sitting in a prison cell. But after 13 plus years of patiently enduring trouble, Joseph's patience was rewarded. Not only was he leader of his people, but he became Pharaoh's number two in command. Patience was needed to allow God to accomplish his purposes in the life of Joseph and his family. Folks, waiting isn't easy. And in this fast-paced, immediate gratification world we live in, I suspect waiting is a distant afterthought for most of us. Why wait when we can fix most of our problems with a few simple mouse clicks? Why wait when there are things like 60-day same-as-cash financing or YouTube, instant coffee, and five-minute rice? We've built our entire culture to be efficient, precise, and productive. And amazingly, we're no closer to being peaceful, content, and satisfied than when we began. But the Bible has some powerful encouragement for those who find themselves In prolonged seasons of waiting for instance Isaiah chapter 40 verses 30 and 31 even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength they will soar high on wings like eagles they will run and not grow weary they will walk and not faint Psalm 27 verse 14 reads wait for the Lord be strong and let your heart take courage wait for the Lord and 2 Peter 3:9 says, "The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent." Beloved, waiting isn't passive. Waiting is powerful, and adopting a posture of patience is a strength, not a detriment, to all those who profess to be followers of Christ. And there are some other things we do in the midst of waiting that make it even more powerful. You could say they supercharge the waiting. And that leads us right into the second interrelated idea for today's passage. And that is praying. Look at James 5. We'll pick up with verse 13. We'll go 13 through 18. Follow along as I read. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you anointing you with oil in the name of the lord such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the lord will make you well and if you've committed any sins you'll be forgiven confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results elijah was as human as we are and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. You know, this section of James, it almost starts off like one of those Michael W. Smith worship songs when it asks, are you in trouble? Pray. Are you happy? Pray louder. Are you sick? Call someone else and have them pray. You know what I mean? It's lovely. The response to every one of these situations is the same, which really begs the question, should that be our default response too? Let's look at verse 13. It says, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. You know, there's many responses to suffering. Some of us worry. Some of us vow revenge against those who've caused the suffering. Some of us let anger burn inside of us and some grumble. But James says the correct response to suffering is to keep on praying about it. This is not necessarily a prayer for deliverance from trouble, but the patience and strength to endure it. Also, if we're fortunate enough to be happy, we should thank God by singing praises to the Lord. Because our praise is directed to God, singing is actually another form of prayer. Then in verse 14, James says, Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. You know, one characteristic of the early church was its concern over and care for the sick. Here, James encourages the sick to call for the elders of the church for counseling and prayer. The elders were spiritually mature people responsible for overseeing local churches. The elders would pray over the sick person, calling upon the Lord for healing. Then they would anoint that person with oil in the name of the Lord. And as the elders prayed, They were to voice clearly that the power for healing resided in the name of Jesus. So let me ask you, should prayer be a habitual response to each and every situation we may or may not find ourselves in? Well, absolutely yes. And more than just yes, but yes, it's actually the will of God for your life. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. Here it is. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Church, the will of God is that we would always rejoice, always pray, and always give thanks. Now, I know how impossible this all sounds. For most of us, we find it hard to even sneak away for 15 minutes to pray, let alone praying and rejoicing all day long. But let's suspend our disbelief for a moment and just consider the heart behind this instruction. Look at verses 15 and 16 of the text. They read, Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Let's look closely. In verse 15, we can see that the prayer must be from a sincere heart with trust in and obedience to God, and no doubt. Faith is the role of the leaders who are praying, not the sick person. It is possible that the sick person's faith is exercised in calling the elders. And also, if there's a need for confession, the elders will be able to minister to that individual. The process ensures dependence of believers on each other. So who does the healing? Not the elders of the oil, but the Lord himself does the healing. Does this mean that every prayer for healing guarantees that God will heal the sick person? It's really important to note here that the prayer offered is a prayer offered in faith. Not only the faith that believes God can heal, but also the faith that expresses absolute confidence in God's will. A true prayer of faith will acknowledge God's sovereignty in his answer to that prayer. It's not always God's will to heal those people who are ill. A prayer for healing must be qualified with a recognition that God's will is supreme. Sin may or may not be the cause of the illness, but an opportunity for confession is given, and the elders are there to receive it. No demand for confession is given, but the opportunity is given that anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. The condition is important because all too often we are prone to assume that sin is the cause of someone's suffering. The Bible does teach that sin can cause sickness, but it also notes clearly that this is not always the case. Now in verse 16, James writes, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. It's not God's plan that his people be alone. Members of Christ's body should be able to count on each other for support and prayer, especially when they're sick or suffering. The elders should be on call to respond to the illness of any member of the church, and they should stay alert to pray for the healing of anyone who is sick. But we are often not only guilty of hesitating to lean on each other in our sickness and weakness, we're even more hesitant to confess our sins to each other. When Christians are really working to share each other's troubles and problems, the world does take note and we become closer to fulfilling the law of Christ. Loving your neighbor as yourself, it does include, above all else, praying for him or her. Also, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and wonderful results because the person who is praying is righteous. Listen to this. The person is not sinless, but he or she has confessed known sins to God and is completely committed to him and trying to do his will. Again, we can say that the righteous people get what they want in prayer because they want what God wants. The Christian's most powerful resource is communication with God through prayer. It is the instrument of healing and forgiveness and is a mighty weapon for spiritual warfare. The results are often greater than we ever thought possible. The earnest prayers of the righteous are powerful, beloved. Singing songs of praise in the midst of suffering is powerful as well. And as we learned last week, our words matter. And in the kingdom economy, they carry immeasurable value. So if you want to supercharge the waiting and maximize the returns on your patience, then add prayer to the waiting. Whether you're in trouble, happy, sad, or sick, make a habit of prayer and trust that every word offered up to the Lord carries with it the power to effect change in the midst of your circumstance. This is the attitude Elijah had when he prayed again and again and again that the rain would fall on the land. He said to Ahab in 1 Kings 18, verses 41 to 46, go get something to eat and drink for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. Then he said to his servant, Go and look out toward the sea. The servant went and looked, then returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. Finally, the seventh time the servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, Hurry to Ahab and tell him, Climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. And soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrible rainstorm, and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. He tucked his cloak into his belt and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. Obviously, we know Elijah was one of God's chosen prophets of old. But Pastor James reminds his hearers here in verse 17 that at the end of the day, he was still just a human. The extraordinary thing he did was pray fervently and believe. The result was that God brought healing rain on the land. Folks, prayer matters. And when you add fervent prayer in the mouths of the righteous, you supercharge the season of waiting. For those who believe, patience and prayer are two of the most powerful forces on this earth. As we bring our time in the book of James to a close, I want to reiterate the care and compassion James had for his church. I believe that same compassion extends to all who have read this letter through the centuries, and if he were standing here today right now with us, I trust James would speak with the same passion and care that he did 2,000 years ago. The trials and tribulations haven't changed so much over the years, Sin and destruction are still crouching at your doorstep every morning and their desire is to have you. The enemy of our souls is still seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. But in the midst of this present darkness and chaos shines the ever-present light of Christ. His glory, power, and majesty won't fade away and someday, sooner or later, he'll return for his bride, the church. I pray we would take to heart the encouragement of Pastor James I pray we would persevere in the testing. We would be doers of the word and not hearers only. I pray that we would be known for both our faith and our works, that our mouths would be filled with praise, and that we would be marked by our deep commitment to prayer and patience. These characteristics have set us apart from the world for hundreds of years, and there's no reason to think that's going to change anytime soon. So over the next few weeks, take one or two of these big ideas from the book of James and ask God to expand your courage and increase your strength. Ask him to use you in the lives of others to shine the light of the gospel in the midst of darkness. And do it all with faith that God will see you safely through until the very end. Jesus reminds us in Matthew 28, verse 20, And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Thanks for listening. God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.